Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys, welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And with me today is our friend and brother in Christ, Jacob Tanner. Jacob, welcome back to the show, brother. Yeah, thank you for having me on again. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, it's good to. It's always good to talk to you, man. We'll have fun. Well, that can didn't you sound uh, that excited at first, though. It's kind of like a eh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Of course. Well, I got to give you a bad time. We talk all the time, so you know, it, it's it's all fun and games. Jacob and I are pretty good friends, so he writes for Servants of Grace as well. And for our magazine, just about every issue. So, you know, we I appreciate you, brother. Uh, so there's there's no slight of anything there meant. It's, it's all in fun. We pick on each other all the time, which you'll probably hear in this interview. So uh, anyway, can you uh, just catch us up on, you know, it's been a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. We've had you on. Can you catch us up on what's been happening in your life, marriage, ministry? And what are you working on ministry project-wise, man? Yeah, sure. So uh, I... I'm pastor in Christ Keystone Church. Um, we are still in central Pennsylvania, and Lord willing, that's where we're going to stay. Cool. Uh, so we're pastoring. The, I'm pastoring the church there, and God has been blessing the work. He's been growing the church, and we praise Him and thank Him for all of that. Hmm. Um, been I've been writing, of course, for you and for some other ministries also, um, Wrath and Grace, uh, G3 and G3 Press. And a few other things as well, which, you know, Lord willing, we'll talk about those other things in yeah, yeah. the future. Um, but also just doing a couple of men's groups and establishing uh, within our area the goal of reformation and what that's going to look like for central Pennsylvania. Um, right. So we've actually updated our church's mission statement, which I'm excited about. And it actually corresponds to what we're going to be talking about. So that's why I'm going to share it. Our church's mission statement is reform, rebuild, reclaim. And the idea behind that is we want to see the church reformed, not only our church, you know, all churches are always reforming, but we want to see that with the churches in our community. We want to rebuild a biblical community. There has been a, a an influx of uh, really wicked behavior in our area and even some rumors. Uh, I don't think it's just rumors. I think there's actually a lot of truth to it of a satanic presence and a very occult presence so we want to rebuild biblical communities and then we want to reclaim and recover a genuine christian culture in which our churches and then our future generations can thrive so we're striving towards that that's one of my uh practical goals as well for my ministry as a whole reform rebuild reclaim And so I recently, uh, through G3 Press, by the time this goes up, I think it should be officially released then, um, published a new book called Why Sally Can't Preach. I'll hold it up there just in case uh, anybody's watching the video and they can see it. Why Sally Can't Preach through G3 Press. It's a short book. It's not quite a book lit. I call it that in the book, but it's not quite that. It's really a short book. Um, kind of more than a primer, I suppose, but it's a book explaining and detailing why women cannot preach, but also giving some encouragement for what women can do within the church, within society, within their families, 
and also encouraging men to stand biblically and boldly and strongly and courageously for the truth of his word. Now I get to pick on you because you, <laughs> you, you do the same thing I do in interviews, which is anticipate the question. But uh, it's okay. I just have to laugh because I do. I do that all the time. And and there's been people like you took away my question. Uh, sorry. So anyway, but I don't want to know any of the questions in advance for that reason. It's just, yeah, 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 yeah. But you knew that I was going to ask you at least that. I but, did. I did. No, more seriously, this is a really important uh, book. It's a really important subject. Um, you know, we're both passionate. We both have the same convictions. You know this. This is a really helpful, uh, concise. I'll say it that way, um, and and I and I know you would agree with that. Concise, you said primer um, on on the subject. You know, it's it's so helpful because we're living in a time when you know, especially with the woman pastor thing. You know, we see this in the southern, especially in the SBC, the Southern Baptist um, Convention. Which we'll 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 come back to that at towards in in our time together. So you know, don't don't comment on that just yet. But uh, we're seeing we're seeing this become more and more of an issue. And I know that it makes even the most conservative Bible believing Christian, you know, that the hair on the back of their head raise up. But it, it's not even just that women being pastors is an issue. It seems like. The idea of uh, we've seen, and, and we're not going to comment on all this, but even women learning theology is now becoming an issue. And I, and I just have to look at you. Just look at the Gospels, and you just look at Jesus. Uh, you know, Martha and Mary. You know, sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning. I mean, you, you look at the Book of Acts, and you know there was Priscilla. Obviously, she was very well educated. Um, and and others, just because she's a, that person is a woman, if she's a, a functioning in a biblical way, right? Um, and and you know, not even just under her. Like some people say, you know, I'm women say I'm under the authority of my husband, and therefore I can do whatever I want to do. That's 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 outside. If if it's outside the bounds of the Bible, period, it's it's outside of what God requires. Mm-hmm. And so, what this book does so well is it is it sets that standard of the authority and sufficiency of God's word in in a context in context it's biblical context it's theological context it's practical con- practical context and then and then what it does from there is it shows why women being a pastor goes against that standard mm-hmm. um and it goes what why this these a lot of these conversations that are happening they go against the standard because like Titus 2 i mean the very heart of intergenerate what we would call intergenerational ministry um, a man an older man helping a younger man grow whatever that whatever age you are and a woman an older woman helping a younger woman to grow in the confines of a local church that's good uh paul says that's a good thing there and the good is sound doctrine and that's for everybody because doctrine is teaching and teaching comes from God. That's why God gave us his word so that we would know what he said and what he taught. And 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 some people might even, they might even read this book and they might say, but there's a difference between your chapter, chapter eight of the word matters, which is also a G3 press book 
and this book. Well, this is more of a sustained treatment on the subject. And I think even in even in that book, even in chapter eight, I say a man is a man and a woman is a woman, and they are to function within their God-given role. And, and we're going to talk about that today. But I just want to say as we start that that's exactly at the heart of you know what we're talking about when we talk about these things. Not that Amen. a woman is a woman is less than or less important than. That was the very ideas, by the way. I think a lot of people forget this. That was the very idea that Paul wanted to counter, that Jesus countered in his ministry to uplift the role of women, not to devalue the role of women. Amen. I think uh too, one of the things that we should probably preface this with up front. Um, because the title can definitely give a very particular uh, feeling, which I I intentionally was going for. But at the same time, let's preface this by saying um, we love women and we love men equally and we see the value and worth of each. And it's because we value the worth and dignity of womanhood and manhood and because we supremely desire to glorify God in obedience to his commandments given to us within scripture, it's because of those reasons that I wrote this book and we're talking about this subject today because our desire is that we would see the church of Jesus Christ flourish here on this earth. And that's definitely not going to happen if we're not being obedient to the roles into which God has called us. So when I say that women can't preach, it's not because women are lesser than men. Uh, I would also say men can't give birth to babies. That doesn't mean that men are lesser than women. And I know people will say, well, that's not a one-to-one -one ratio. That's not the same exact thing. Sure, but nonetheless, the same rule still applies. Men are not called to give birth to babies. God has not equipped them to give birth to babies. And so guess what? They can't give birth to babies. Women have not been called to preach. They have never been equipped by God to preach. They've never been filled with the Holy Spirit to preach. And so they cannot preach. And so that really is one of the great differences here that I think we should establish. Women are not called to preach. They cannot preach because preaching is a fundamentally masculine task that is given to biblically qualified men. And the reason it's a fundamentally masculine task is because when preaching happens, the word of God is being exposited in such a way that the scriptures are not only being made clear, they're being made plain, but they're also being made extremely practical to be applied to everyday life. And so the act of preaching, when a man steps behind a pulpit and he exposits the scriptures and applies it in that practical way, is leading the people. It's leading the congregation. And yeah. so right there. Full stop, it's a masculine task. It's only for the biblically qualified men. But women are then called to proclaim the truth. They're called to live by the truth also, but they're called to proclaim the truth. So each and every single one of us, man, woman, and child who has been born again is called forth to go and be an ambassador for Christ, to proclaim the gospel to others, to proclaim the kingly summons. Jesus died for sinners. Jesus was buried for sinners. Jesus rose for sinners. Repent of your sins and believe in this Jesus by faith alone and be saved. Everyone's called to proclaim that, but that's not preaching. Preaching is reserved for biblically qualified men. And if we're being honest, I didn't go too much into it in the book, but there's even a lot of men who should not be preaching and in fact are not preaching because they haven't been called to it. 
a lot of what's happening within our churches today, I think, is if you walk into a church and a woman is up there, quote unquote, preaching, rest in the assurance it's not a church. She's not preaching. She can't preach. But there are also churches where there are biblically unqualified men doing the same thing. And so guess what? It's not a church. They're not preaching. And you might as well just walk out. So not only do the gender roles matter, but God's uh, designation, his his actual equipping and making somebody biblically qualified, that matters equally too. So both of those things are important. But the focus here is this issue of women wanting to preach and pastor. And what we're saying is that because God is not the author of confusion, mm-hmm. he is not going to equip somebody to do something. He's not going to gift them to do something and then say they can't do it. Our real problem is we don't understand what preaching is. And you, Dave, you've probably seen this too. Uh, A lot of people will say just in like passing in their normal day-to-day talk and conversation, I'm going to get up on my soapbox for a moment and I'm going to preach, right? But that's not preaching. Preaching, again, is when a biblically qualified man gets behind the sacred desk and exposits the scriptures in a fundamentally practical way. Yep, yep. It's like it's like the person when I was in seminary who said, I'm going to have church uh, and and they're meeting at a Starbucks or they're meeting at a coffee shop. And I was like, well, um, there's no communion. There's no baptism. There's no preaching. There's no church. There's no qualified male. Even if there was a qualified, I'll even go a little bit further like you were doing. There, if there's no qualified male pastor there and the sacraments aren't present and the preaching of God's word isn't, and, the, and it's in the context of people gathering physically there present, um, that doesn't call the coffee shop doesn't qualify as a church. Now, right. a Bible study, yes. A one on one discipling relationship, yes. Uh, a, a mentoring relationship, yes. Around God's word, always 100%. But to mm-hmm. say that, just to push that further, that's not a church. It's not a church service. Mm-hmm. I think I think that what you're what you're saying. I mean, just just so people kind of are aware, you know, when when we talk about this, we go to First Timothy three, we go to Titus one, and there in those texts, what Paul does is he he actually is building on Genesis one and two. Um, even in Ephesians five, uh, is built on the premise of Genesis one and two that God made a man first, and then He made a woman. That doesn't mean that the woman is less than or or or. Uh, more uh, uh, unimportant. It's that God, like I said earlier, it's that God made a man to be a man and a woman to be a woman, and a I woman. Think, I think we can even go so far as to use the language that woman was made to complement. Absolutely, man. that's where I was so going. Yeah, woman, woman is man's helpmeet. Yeah, uh, she submits to her husband's authority, and I think that's an important uh, des- designation to make as well. Yeah, she submits to her husband. Yes. She's not submitting to every single male in the world. She's submitting to her husband. And then within her church, both her and her husband are submitting to the elders of the church and yes. their authority and their rule. And uh, mutual and, submission, not not just absolute submission. It's sure, mutual and then, submission. And then on, on top of this, we have God as the ultimate authority. Yeah. So if she's in a marriage where, say, the husband's not saved, yeah. I think there is a sense in what she is still called to submit to him. But if he says to her, uh, I want you to do this, and it's a denial of something that God has commanded within right. Scripture, well, then God trumps it. Yep. And we would say the same thing in our society. You know, we we have rulers that have been placed over us by God that we are to submit to. But yep. 
if they tell us to disobey God, what do we do? We obey God and yeah. we defy tyrants yeah. in whatever form they might end up well, taking. Well, just just to highlight this a little bit more, going back to Ephesians 5, before Paul even begins to talk about, um, you know, he, he talks about Jesus being the head of the church and how Jesus died and uh, was presented blameless for the sake of the church. And then with that understanding, he then goes on to talk about a man, you know, leading the wife and loving the wife. Uh, it's five times in the ESV. It's actually six times in the Greek um, there. And and then, you know, out of, out, so out of this understanding that the husband can lovingly is to love, command and to love the, his wife. And the wife is to, Paul says, respect the husband. Not that the, the wife isn't to love her husband, but that. You know, there obviously the the wife is to love her husband because to love somebody is to respect them. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not that you know the wife is to love her husband; it's that she is to respect and together um, they're joint heirs with Christ. One isn't above the other. Christ is above both of them. Christ is the head, and together they're joined together in in the head with the husband lovingly leading. Um, and in submission to, because they're united to Christ, um, lovingly leading and serving. And that that eliminates any kind of, you know, the accusation is false. The charge is false that the, that this view leads to abuse. I've heard this so many times. There's not one ounce. I have never heard anybody. Well, maybe there is, but I have never heard leading proponents of this view. Um, for years and years and years, I mean, for 20 years or more, I've held this view. I've never heard anybody espouse it at, um, that was it, that suggested or gave the impression of supporting abuse. And so the charge is false. Um, it's not only just false because of that. It's false biblically that the scriptures never allow um, or support for abuse. And I've actually been told many times that this view leads to abuse prove hmm. it prove it prove now now can it lead to uh weak and effeminate men and should we call that out as well absolutely i'm 100 against a, a weak effeminate men just as i'm against or weak uh women or strong-willed women not submitting to their husband as to the lord um and so we, we have to be we have to be so careful and so balanced and I can say this, I'll be, I'll, be I'll, I'll, here's a little example in case anybody thinks, oh, you just condemned abuse. I, I can say I, in my childhood, um, I experienced a tremendous amount of emotional and mental abuse that I, I can't even, I can't even talk about it. Not, be, not, not that I won't talk about it, that, um, I, I can't talk about it. Um, because it, it gets into so many different details and it would take hours and hours and hours and hours. But the point is, like, I personally have experienced a tremendous amount of emotional and mental abuse. And those who knew me in high school, they and were in the youth group, they knew what I was going through. They saw it. They saw its effects. And so maybe you're a youth pastor and you see that. I would just say this. Maybe you see a kid, a teenager that is experiencing abuse or you, you think that they're depressed or anxious or whatever. Go find that kid and and love on them because that's what happened with a youth pastor and a youth elder 
And, you know, by God's sovereign grace alone, he keeps us, but he uses his people to help us to press forward. And I don't know if I would still be a Christian um, without that kind of ministry of coming alongside of me and really helping me. And there were so many people uh, that helped me to continue down the path that God has had for me. And even continuing on in ministry, I mean, without the help of my wife and the encouragement of many friends, I would have quit a long time ago, to be honest. But, um, you know, there, there's there's just so much to be to to be said about that, but really can't get I, in. I think we could add here, though, yeah. um, a, a pretty good point. And as you were talking, I was thinking, too, um, the recent documentary, Shiny Happy People, which goes into the uh, abuses of uh bill gothard and kind of the duggers and that whole movement with the iblp what you see there is uh a, a form i suppose you could say of patriarchal leadership and there were no doubt abuses that were occurring underneath that leadership but because abuses were occurring does not mean that the views that we're espousing here are actually wicked. The views that we're espousing are actually good and biblical, but you can take anything good and twist it for your own ulterior motives. Uh, and so that's that's what a lot of people do. When we talk about um, the rule of patriarchy, you'll have the feminists come along and they'll say, well, we need to tear down the patriarchy. And then you'll kind of get the really extreme form of the patriarchal dudes coming along and they'll be like just bashing the feminist and saying we need to get rid of them we need to destroy it. no 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 the goal here is to actually see revival and reformation sinners brought to christ and salvation made obedient to the biblical role so is patriarchy good yes according to scripture we have a a patriarchal god right father son holy spirit that's who our triune god is um we have this patriarchal uh roles imbued within the cosmos itself so uh men lead your wives women submit to your husbands um within the church men lead the church biblically qualified men lead the church yeah. and i think it's also right and good when you have men leading the charge in society as well different of course i think it's fine to vote for example if you have a biblically conservative woman in this country and she's running up against a man who is, you know, pro-abortion, pro-homosexuality, pro all of these different things, by all means, vote for the woman, right? But it's good to have biblically qualified men being brave, strong, courageous, yeah. and leading the way. Um, when that's not the case, things are going awry, things are going astray. It's not the way that God has intended. And that's really why we see so much sin and error in the world today. I also think this is the reason why we see the rise of popularity of authors like Jordan Peterson. Um, Jordan Peterson uh, does not offer a better alternative to Christianity, right? But what Jordan Peterson does is he speaks to men. And what's interesting, I appreciate a lot of what Jordan Peterson does. Don't get me wrong. I also don't like a lot of what he does. But what's interesting is that when you hear Jordan Peterson talk, your immediate thought is not going to be, this is a masculine man. Your immediate thought's going to be, this, this guy actually doesn't sound that masculine. But what he is saying resonates with a lot of young men. And I think the reason for that is because they've seen what the feminist agenda has done. They've tried to tear down the patriarchy. Ultimately, they failed because you can't really tear down what God has instituted. 
but they've tried to tear it down and they've seen the results of that. These young men have seen the results and they're going, well, I don't want to be a feminine. I don't, I, I'm not supposed to submit to women. That's not right. And so they're recognizing I need leadership. I need men who are going to show me the way because I was never shown the way before. And so you've got guys like Jordan Peterson and Joe Rogan coming along, not Christians, but being embraced even by Christian men because these guys are speaking truth in a vacuum. They're speaking, even if they're not speaking the full truth, there's some truth there. And so it's spoken in a vacuum and it's being embraced. So what part of what we need to do as Christians is embrace gender roles as designated within scripture. These young men and women, by the way, too, they want it. They desperately crave it. They desperately need it, but they need to be shown from the scriptures. How are these things taught? Where are these things taught? What are we to do? And so they need to know what is a biblically qualified male elder within a church? What does that look like? Why can't Sally preach? They need to know these things. And so our goal here is to teach them. Yeah, it's good. You know, in your book, you discuss, uh, it's a very short section here that we're talking about, but in your book, you discuss uh, a denial of church members about women pastors is worthy of church discipline. And then you briefly outline what such a process looks like. So can you please clarify the circumstances surrounding such a need for church discipline, like whether you think this is a situation of divisiveness or cetera, or some other situation that would lead somebody to coming under church discipline? Sure. So when I outline uh, that section on church discipline within the book, I'm going based off of Matthew 18, which I quote in the book in parentheses just a little bit before that. So let me say this. I think that a proper time to exercise church discipline as ordered by Jesus and then Paul also in 1 Corinthians 5, the proper time to do this when it comes to a denial of gender roles is when someone has been taught the truth. So they know the truth. Um, They became members of the church knowing this truth. And then they've not only denied it, but they're becoming ultimately divisive um, because of it. So let me also say this there's in my situation we would never encounter an area like this because when somebody becomes a member of our church we're sitting down with them we're interviewing them and they know there's a couple of things they have to sign off on one of them is they have to subscribe to the 1689 confession they can have some differences but they need to tell us where those differences are and then they have to agree they're not going to be divisive on it because if they are then church discipline can be implemented Um, They also have to agree to the biblical roles of men and women. So men lead, women submit to the leadership of those men that God has placed in their life over them. So in our situation, there's not confusion over this, because if a woman joins our church, she says she's a Christian, she says, yes, I sign off on all of that. I believe all of that. And then she starts bringing in books by like Beth Moore. And she says, I want to start teaching from the pulpit. We're going to go, no. You can't do that. And then we're going to follow that outline. I'll talk to her. If she's not listening, then there'll be a group of us that will talk to her. And by the way, let me say this. When I talk to women as the pastor, my wife is typically with me, not because my wife is a ruler within the church, but because there's good common sense and not talking to another woman by yourself as a man. So my wife is typically uh, always with me. And if it's not my wife, Uh, Actually, that's never happened. My wife has always been with me whenever I've talked to another woman. But our policy is if she can't be there, 
then we have to have at least one other man and woman, a husband and wife team. So I I can never talk to a woman by myself outside of my wife, of course. And the reason we do that is so that we abstain from even the appearance of evil. But also, we don't want the woman herself to feel intimidated by a person speaking to her one on one in that situation. So what would happen anyway is I would go and I would speak to her with my wife. If she doesn't repent, we would get more of the leaders of the church involved, probably with their wives as well. Again, we would speak to her. If she still doesn't repent, then it goes before the congregation. If she still doesn't repent, and praise the Lord, we've never had to do this yet because of gender roles. But if it were to come to this, if she still didn't repent, you know, she's still holding up the Beth Moore book or whatever it is, we'd say to her, listen, you're still welcome to attend here. But as far as we're concerned, your membership's revoked. You can't partake of the Lord's table. And if there's any matters to vote on, your vote will not be accepted at this point in time until you repent. Now, if there's somebody listening to this and they're saying, "Okay, I agree that the gender roles are important, but I've never implemented this before. I've never implemented uh, solid biblical gender roles. You know, I've never really thought about it. I've never taught on it. I've never preached on it from the pulpit. Here's my recommendation. Preach on it from the pulpit and be patient. Uh, be a patient reformer in this matter, because if you've never taught on it before, people are going to think horrible things about you as you're teaching through it. And also they've got the wrong idea because the world has been feeding them lies for literal decades at this point. And so your task as a preacher listening to this is to preach what the scriptures declare. So I would say, Go to First Timothy chapter two, where it says a woman is to remain silent. Go to First Timothy chapter three, where it tells you an elder is to be the husband of one wife. Go to all of these different passages. Go to Titus also and explain. Here's what a woman is called to do. She's called to teach other women. She's she can teach permissibly teach uh, children. She's called to raise up godly children within her household if the Lord so blesses them with children. So on and so forth. There are multiple things that women can do. But teach these things, preach these things faithfully, and then explain, because we take the word of God seriously and because we want to have a church that glorifies God, ecclesiastically, our church is only going to permit into leadership, into eldership, biblically qualified men. And then explain, we're not going to permit any teaching into this church that would subvert God's designated gender roles. Now, still be patient. And I would say, take a year, take two years, take as many years as you, it's going to be different for each person's situation, but take as much time as you need to make sure that this is understood and then adopt it written into your policy that every single church member knows this is our policy regarding the designation of gender roles according to scripture. And if you subvert or you deny these gender roles, then here's what's going to happen. Here is our practice. Here is what we have outlined. Here is what we're going to do. And if I could, let me just give one more example here. Um, one of the churches that I pastored at uh, a few years back had a woman um, teaching a women's group before we got there. So I got there, found out this woman was teaching the women's group, and she was using books from Joyce Myers. And everybody's listening to this is probably going, wait a second. How did you start pastoring this church? Long story. But anyway, she's using Joyce Meyer's books and she's a new Christian. So I pull her aside and I say to her, hey, this is not good for you to be teaching from. And I patiently explain these things to her, not just one time over and over and over again for a period of about four months. I would explain these things to her. My wife would be with me. We'd sit down. We'd open the scriptures together and I'd say, look, here's what God's word says. Here's why Joyce Myers, for example, 
is an evil, wicked, quote unquote, teacher. She's in rebellion against God's commandments. We at no point considered putting her under church discipline because she didn't know any better and she had never been taught otherwise. So it was my job as pastor at that point to teach her better. But once they know better, and as a pastor, you have to have the wherewithal to know when that is. But when they know better, it's in your constitution and bylaws. The members know this. That's the point where it becomes a case of church discipline if they're denying these gender roles. And that that is such good uh, clarification because we're trying to bring clarity is, you know, when we're writing, we have to illustrate things. So the theology in, in that particular section is good. But it could be we we always can have something be a little bit better, you know, and and I'm not picking on Jacob. Jacob and I have already talked about this, so it's not like he's hearing this for the first time. But, you know, we can. There's there's also, by the way, uh, people but, that are already taking quotes from the book yeah. and twisting them in different ways. So this right, is a right. good opportunity, I, was... I think, to uh, yeah give more clarity, yeah. not only on this subject, but uh, earlier on, I touched on it as well. The subject of what preaching is fundamentally masculine. But right. here's why. But uh, because people people definitely want to twist this subject mm-hmm. as much as possible and say, hey, Jake's a jerk. And also yeah. we want nothing to do with this topic, but it's important. It is vitally important and true. And so yeah. we need the truth. But this is also just like another example of where having that conversation, even privately, obviously privately, like we did before we even recorded, where, you know, in love, we come to each other and be like, hey, this point isn't as clear as it could be. Sometimes things are are missed. I know for me, I have a very different perspective on just, um, you know, making sure that things are extra clear and even illustrating a point. And so this is why um, I just wanted, in case somebody wondered why I asked the question I did, I just wanted to state, you know, this is something that strengthens your writing, you know, to illustrate, you might have great theology, but illustrating a particular point like this brings a lot of clarity and it, and it didn't even have to be, you know, like, we're not, I'm not asking for like, you know, somebody might be able to, geez, you're so nitpicky. I'm asking for like maybe two, three, four sentences just a few cases where somebody could see it, where they could understand it, you know, um, that that's that's all that has to be done, you know. And and so, you know, I'm not picking on Jacob when I say this. You know, he gave that he gave a great answer. He gave plenty of examples. Um, I just I'm just saying this is not for Jacob. This is for, you know, people that listen, watch the show. You know, as you write, just think about that. You might have great theology, but are you when you're preaching, you're teaching, are you giving people an illustration, if you're going to talk about something like this, they need to have something tangible to be like, okay, so that's that's what that looks like. Um, so that they can, you know, understand what it is. That's that would that was the only in fact, that was the only part, you know, praise God, where I was like, hey, that could be a little more useful as a primer. You know, and 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 I'll say, I'll say this too. There, there was there's been times when, you know, I've been edited. Where the where I thought that you know on, on the side of the 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 editor I thought they were being harsh with me, but it turns out on the other side that hey I didn't state it as clear I didn't give enough detail and um, even even in the the word matters there was a section in chapter nine where they wanted um, G three wanted more evidence um, on a particular point 
uh, so that not just from the history of it, but just like to the modern day. And so I can just say this as a as a writer, that's an opportunity. Um, and Jake, you've you've heard me, Jacob, you've heard me say this before because we talk about this, talked about this. I am very much of the opinion I will accept an editor. Uh, I will accept my own, the majority of my wife's edit. Any questions that I have, I will ask. So this is a good opportunity to say that too to writers. When you're getting edited, at, if there's something where you're like, I disagree, ask. Ask the editor, hey, what do you mean when you say this? Um, it invites the editor then to respond and to clarify. Um, and if you're an editor, ask the writer, what do you mean by this particular point? Not just saying, you know what, that don't say that isn't clear. Well, you can say that later if they push back, you know, this needs to be edited because it's not clear and then state why. But uh, inviting a conversation is far more effective than than shutting somebody down. Um, it invites the discussion to get their thoughts, what they're thinking, why they said it. Um, it comes alongside instead of, you know, uh, it shows real love and care. And that's 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 something that's really it's something that I'm really passionate about as an editor um, and as a writer. Um, and it's something that unfortunately, I don't think that is done well enough is what I'll say. And so so when Jacob and I talked, I, I came to him as, you know, his brother in Christ in love. There's a lot of things that Jacob has written in the book. They're all wonderful. They're all very helpful. Um, even the point on this point, I'll say, was good. It just needed to be like we agreed. It just needed to be illustrated a little bit better. But you brought that clarity in our conversation. And you even said, you know, I can't change it uh, now, but you would have changed it. So anyway, I just wanted that. That wasn't for your benefit. That was more for people that, you know, listen so that they can learn from that, I think. And 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 even even there, you can agree to disagree. You know, if Jacob has said, I disagree with you. Okay. Well, you can tell me why you disagree and we can have that conversation too. And that's, that's okay too. So, mm -hmm. but um, you, you know, you raise in the book, the issue of Rick Warren and Beth Moore, which you talked on earlier. Can you briefly share about your concern with what is happening with both of them? Uh, <laughs> briefly, briefly, yeah. huh? Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of concerns. But here's here's what I will say. Uh, Beth Moore, Rick Warren, um, Amy Burr is another one. Oh, yeah. What, yeah, they, that. what they've done is they've not only embraced the idea that maybe women can preach, uh, they've actually started doing it. So in the case of both of those women, they are now preaching, you know, quote unquote preaching. They're not really preaching, but they'd say they are. They're trying to subvert God's order for creation. Um, and Rick Warren's right there with them. And I would actually say Rick Warren has the worst sin because he's supposed to be the biblically qualified male here leading. Now, I think his actions have proved he's not biblically qualified to lead any sort of church at all or any sort of ministry. But nonetheless, what they've done is they've come along and they've appealed to emotions, feelings, uh, their own pride. And they've insisted that women not only can preach, but now must preach. Now, again, let's be clear here. Here's the issue. It's not just a matter of women should not preach. It's a matter that women can not preach and they can't preach because the Holy Spirit is not filling them with that gift, with that talent, with that ability. 
that we would refer to as preaching and pastoring. So that diminishing of the word itself, preaching, is a big issue. But the other issue is, is that they're just totally denying scripture, or at the very least, they're twist, they're twisting it to get to where they want to be. So in the case of Rick Warren, you know, he tried bringing this up before the Southern Baptist Convention last year in 2022. And he said all of these crazy things. Uh, there were memes that came out afterward where people were basically posting. You know, Rick Warren had said that he had trained over a million pastors, which was more than all of the Southern Baptist uh, seminaries combined, yada, yada, yada. So the memes came out and it was Rick Warren saying, I wrote all 66 books of the Bible. I built Noah's Ark for him. On and on it goes. And the reason was because it was such a pride filled statement and so egotistical and also not true at all and verifiably not true. A lot of the claims that he was making. But he tried making all of these statistical claims. He brought up all of these big numbers of great things that he's done, never once using the Bible to defend his position that women can preach. And that really is how this conversation ends up going most of the time. Uh, the other side does not have the scripture to back what they're saying. And so they'll do one of two things. They'll appeal to emotions. Uh, you know, a woman might say, I was called to preach. I know and you know how they never use the in front of Holy Spirit. So it's just Holy Spirit. I know Holy Spirit called me to preach. And so you can't tell me any different. I know Holy Spirit called me to preach. And the answer is, no, he didn't. The Bible at no point says that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, has never called women to preach. He has never done it. And he won't because it's not God's order for his creation. So either they'll appeal to their own feelings and they'll say, if you if you say no to this, you're denying my experience. So this is actually a denial of truth itself in favor of something that's fluid, uh, in favor of my own feelings and emotions. It is, in a sense, a form of postmodernism, right? Uh, or at least post-Christianity, post-truth. So you've got that aspect of it. Or what they'll do is they'll appeal to other authorities on the matter, people who agree with them. And I've seen Rick Warren do this as well. Rick Warren sent out a tweet. Um, I'm pretty sure it was after the SBC decided to disfellowship him and Saddleback. And the tweet, or maybe it was right before, but either way, the tweet said that he had never done his due diligence of studying the scriptures to determine whether or not a woman should preach. So he read over 60 commentaries, and I might be inflating the number, or maybe it's not enough. I don't know. No, but I think it read, was 60 commentaries. Was it 60? I he think it was, read, yeah. He read over 60 commentaries, uh, blah, 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 and finally came to the point to understand that the word elder means this and this means that. I would want to know, number one, what commentaries? Because mm -hmm. I can go on Amazon right now and I can order a commentary written by a Sally that doesn't mean anything at all, right? Uh, I can go find a commentary that says anything at all that I want it to say mm -hmm. because... And that's part of the beauty of it, I guess, is that in today's market, you can self-publish any. So was Warren reading 60 self-published books? Was he reading 60 books from extremely theologically liberal publishers? Well, probably. Yeah. He got what he wanted. He found what he wanted. And then he utilized what he wanted. Uh, but he also has a tendency. It, it's very clear of inflating numbers and lying. So I would say he probably did not read 60 commentaries. He probably read who knows how many, right? But the point is what he did not do, he says he didn't do his due diligence. That tells me right then and there, this man was never equipped to be a pastor in the first place. 
if he did not study this beforehand and he needed 60 commentaries to come to an answer, it's telling me he's not called to pastor. So we shouldn't even be listening to this guy anyway. But secondly, those like him, those who are trying to appeal to these other authorities, we need to start doing the work ourselves of biblical discernment and discerning what spirit people are speaking in. Uh, because again, you can have itching ears and you can find the exact sort of thing that's going to tickle those ears. But what we need is truth. And here's the deal. Sometimes the truth hurts. Uh, sometimes the truth wounds. The word of God is a double-edged sword for a, a good reason. It sometimes cuts us deeply, but that's good. That's for our own benefit. So if there's somebody listening to this like a Rick Warren or a Beth Moore or an Amy Bird, what I would say to them is that I don't hate any one of you. In fact, it's because I love you and I desire you to repent and to be part of the actual kingdom of God. And I desire to see all things brought under the lordship of Jesus for the glory of God that I wrote this book and I'm saying these things now. I earnestly desire for the sake of God's kingdom to see these gender roles upheld biblically and truthfully as they're given to us in scripture. Yeah. And, and just to expand on that, you know, and, and one of the qualifications for an elder, in case some people don't know this, in Titus 1 9, it's that Paul says this to Titus, who he appointed, if we remember, to set things in order on the island of Crete. Well, that's what he says in Titus 1 5. This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint in every town as I direct you. So verse 9 of Titus 1 says this. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and to Jacob's point and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So notice what it says. He's to hold firm to the word as taught. That means you believe what it says, that it matters what Paul is saying. It matters what you believe about the Bible because it's going to affect what you do with the Bible, how you interpret the Bible, and how you practice the Bible so that they may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Doctrine is teaching, and teaching comes from the 66 books of the Word of God. And that leads to something, to rebuking those who contradict the sound doctrine of the Word which is what Jacob is doing in this book. They, Rick Warren has advanced a view that scripture doesn't support. This, when, when view, when th this is why what we believe about the Bible matters, because it leads to what we'll do with the Bible. And Amen. when, when, and you even talk about, I really appreciate this point in the book, just to draw it out. And, and I do this as well in the word matters as well, as you know, you you show where this leads. Well, if you deny if you deny uh, that men can be pastors, then you undermine gen like we talked about earlier. We undermine it undermines Genesis one through two. If you undermine Genesis one and two, you undermine First Timothy three. You undermine this very text, Titus one. You undermine Ephesians five, um, and then and then it just becomes a cascading effect where you're denying all sorts of things that are absolutely critical. And we see that. This is why, by the way, to give a, an example, like I said earlier about illustrating the point, this is why the in the PC the in the PC USA went towards this direction. And now the PC USA, even even the United Methodists, mm -hmm. you know, with in, in uh, it, with their denomination, why 
huge part why why I think it's twenty five hundred congregations so far have split off from the United Methodists because they believe that women could be pastors, and then they start supporting. Watch this. What they start doing is supporting gay, quote unquote, gay Christianity. And then then you then you go down the slippery slope. And so this is just a practical example. And so the PCUS, the, the PCA broke off from the PCUSA and even the even the OPC broke off from the PCUSA as well. And 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 this has happened again and again and again, starting with this issue, because when you compromise and just a little bit on this particular subject it leads to compromise on what a man and a woman is and if you compromise on that you, there's no there's there, there, there's you're going to compromise on marriage itself as an institution between one man and one woman under god and then you're going to compromise on the nature of the church and then and then what's going to stop you then at that point once you've done that from compromising on the very uh uh the gospel itself and that's that's what we've seen even in by the way even in the PCUSA they wanted to remove the little phrase you know the wrath of god in Christ, the song, the getty song in christ alone interesting huh but it shows where these things go just a little bit well I'll just I'll just I'll just uh go a little bit further but that little bit is going to take you even further and even further. And now, by the way, the United Methodists have ordained a uh, Isaac Simmons is a is a trans a transgender drag evangelist who attacks these very ideas that we're uh, asserting here today from script following the scripture and following what the church has taught. This is where these things go. This is why it's not just showing. This is what this thing is matters. This is what this is the illustration of where this leads. And what's to stop it? There's nothing to stop it. In fact, that's what Paul's point is in Romans 1, that God will give them over to a debased mind. And, you know, when you compromise on sound doctrine, you're going to compromise in your practice. And there's that's a never ending cycle until you repent. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things to keep in mind here, too is that when we're when we're looking at our enemies and we're surrounded by them right uh whether you're looking at the 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 supreme feminist uh agenda which is to tear down the patriarchy or whether you're just looking at people who are anti-christian anti-christ uh or even those who would claim to be within our own ranks but are clearly against us one of the best things that we can do is not cower before them uh there's a lot of people that already uh, have made statements that very clearly they want me to capitulate and they want me to take back some of the things I said in the book and I won't do it. One, because it's true. Second, because we're not going to cower before them. We know who the ultimate victor is. We know Christ is putting all things underneath his feet as we speak. And so my desire to see all things brought under the lordship of Christ is happening and therefore I can do what Psalm 2 says. I can look at my enemies who God holds in derision anyway and just as he mocks them with laughter, I, too, can laugh at the absolute insanity that's going on there. I mean, and I'm drawing a blank on his name, but the the person you just mentioned, uh, was it a man? That's Isaac now? Simmons. Yeah, Isaac. Simmons. Is, is this a is this a biological man? Because I want to make sure that I get this right according to scripture. Uh, uh, so it, it, it they were born a man, right? I would have to I would have to look off the top of my head to be, well, to, be to be fair. OK, let's imagine that they were born a man then. There you go. This there man. 
this man who is in direct rebellion against God is doing one of the most foolish things I've ever heard. So we can laugh about what he is doing, not because we're not taking it seriously, but because we already know what God's word says about this. And that's that his mission is going to absolutely fail. It will crumble. So what do we need to do? We need to stand firm and we need to give just a little bit of pushback with the word of God and show the word of God very, very, very clearly does not permit these things, is against these things, objects to these things and promises judgment to those who do not repent, who continue in this wickedness and in this sin. So we call them to repentance. We call them to faith in Christ. But at the end of the day, it's up to God to bring about the results. And so if they're going to continue in their wickedness and sin, we were the watchmen who did all that we could do. Their sin is now upon them. But we need to be faithful because here's the beauty of it. Some are going to read this book. And my prayer is they're going to be drawn out of their wickedness. They're going to be drawn out of their sin. They're going to be drawn out of their error, their confusion, their mistakes, their cowardice, their their fear. They're going to be drawn out of all of these different things. And they're going to be planted firmly in the truth of God's word. And what they're going to find there is that it is more beautiful and more joy-filled than anything they ever could have possibly imagined before. Because when you're living in union with Christ, in obedience to the commandments of Christ, you find that the righteous life is far more satisfying than anything you had in your former life of sin. And that is especially true here, too. When people deny gender roles and everything's turned topsy-turvy, nobody's satisfied. Nobody's happy. I mean, if you look at some of these uh, feminists, they look like the most unhappy group going. And that's because this isn't the way the world is meant to be. And when you look at some of these guys who just absolutely despise women, they're the most unhappy people going. Why? Because that's not the way it's meant to be. Men are meant to love their wives, to treasure their wives, to give of themselves as Christ died and gave to the church. And women are meant to submit to their husbands just as the church submits to Christ. When people don't do that and they rebel and they think, hey, this is where I'm actually free. They're the most miserable people around. But we who are in Christ, who are obedient to his commandments, who understand Sally can't preach and we can't even allow her a thought in her head that she might be able to do this. When we understand this and when Sally understands this, then there's actual joy because Sally begins to realize, okay, so there are things I'm called to do. My worth and value is not in a position. It's not in having a title. It's not in having authority over others. My worth and value is in Christ, being made in the image of Christ. Mm. My worth and value is in raising my children, in being the helpmeet of my husband, in going forth and proclaiming the gospel. Even though I can't preach it, I can proclaim it. In fact, everyone, again, is called to do that. Men, women, and children have been born again are called to proclaim the truth of God's word. They're called to proclaim the gospel. That's not preaching. Preaching is what happens on a Sunday. Pastor's up there, and that biblically qualified man is expositing the scriptures. That's preaching. But everybody's called to proclaim it. And when the woman comes to realize, okay, we're not saying that the pastor's more important than her. We're not saying that our husband's more important than her. We're saying they are of equal worth and value. They simply have different roles. And when they're obedient to those roles, they find joy, they find happiness. And the beauty of it is the church flourishes and the kingdom of God advances over the earth. And really, again, that's that's all we want. That's the goal here. And all so in, men and women learn. All They're all learning from that preaching. Mm-hmm. So. 
you know, we we've talked a lot about a lot of these things. We talked about air and contradicting it with the the truth of scripture. We've talked about biblical gender roles, but I think an important thing that we don't talk enough about what what is why is it important to fence the pulpit? Uh so I kind of touched on it already, but I think really the main reason why is because if somebody's not number one biblically qualified, secondly called by God, then they can't preach. And that's not just women. Now, women can never preach. That's that's just the way the scriptures are. But there are various men inhabiting pulpits today that also not only should not be preaching, but they cannot preach because they're not biblically qualified and they were never called by God to do it. So they're not equipped by the Holy Spirit to preach the word of God. So when you put somebody behind a pulpit and you say, here's a church service and this person's going to lead us in the preaching of the word of God, they're not preaching. Um, at best, at best, maybe it's a Bible study, but mm -hmm. even then, usually it's not. Usually what they're doing is violence to the word of God. Now, again, people can proclaim the truth, but preaching, preaching is something very, very different. And it's to be reserved for biblically qualified men, because when you don't have biblically qualified men, they're doing violence to the scriptures, they're doing violence to the church. And ultimately, what they're doing is violence to the saints, if there are any there. But yeah. really what it is, is it's a case of the blind leading the blind. More often yeah. than not, you'll have a church of unconverted people being led by somebody who themselves is unconverted. And it's just it's an absolute mess. It's a tragedy. Really, it is. This is where I think, you know, where I've come from in, in, in to appreciate is, is this is why we should be confessional. Um, and why there's a lot of wisdom, like in the PCA, for example, and other denominations and having a presbytery where the man is it, not only his ability to preach, to teach, but his life, you know, that's something that no, no, I'm not saying that the local church can't do that either. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that having this kind of setup can be helpful to guard the pulpit and to guard our churches against unqualified men from who want to only ascend to preach. They love to preach, but they don't love the people, which Lloyd-Jones talks about that in his famous preaching. You know, yeah. loving to preach is one thing, but you don't shouldn't just love to preach. You should love the people that you're preaching. I, I remember as a pastoral intern, you know, uh, the, the one of the pastors at the church I was at, he said, Dave, don't just love the word, which he knew I did. Love the people with the word. And I thought that be, is beautifully captures what preaching is. It's not just you're giving another pastor said to me that I had, don't just give the people an information dump. Now we are giving them information. We are preaching the word, but you're also aiming for the spirit to carry that word and to bring transformation in life. So he said, don't just give them information, you know, focus on transformation. And the more I've thought about those things over the years it's it's so important because romans 10 17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of christ so we're not saying that a woman like titus 2 the older woman teaching younger women we're not against that kind of thing happening like a woman like for example susan heck who you know preaches to women and she requires that um you know no man be present it's not that she doesn't want, and she's even said this to me and on the show. She's not saying that a, she wouldn't support a pastor being present. You know, she's she encourages that to watch what's being said and to guard the people. She's for that, 
but she's saying that a woman she has woman specific things to say that apply only to a woman and other women are like you said you know when you when a when you talk with this isn't a one to one but just example of it when you're when a woman when you are talking to a woman you bring your wife with this kind of thing susan is just talking to the women and so for other women to feel safe and you know to hear that only other women should be present but we're talking when we talk about a woman preaching we're talking about not just we're talking about on the lord's day we're not talking about a woman's event or a woman's ministry i just want to i just wanted to clarify that just so that you know we're talking about the lord's day we're not talking about a woman's event and we're not saying that you know like somebody like susan heck can't go and teach or women can't learn theology um we're just saying this is relating to the lord's day and a woman not preaching at all from the pulpit because they're not qualified and it's not how god assigned them um as a woman god didn't make them that way to lead that that i just i just wanted to bring that clarity because uh there can be a lot of confusion um, and it doesn't minimize a woman's role. It actually uplifts a woman's role. It uplifts her dignity and value in the way in which God made her. And I think that uh, in a lot of ways on this particular topic, there could be even a lot of agreement on all across the board, you know, on 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 this side on various things, but there's not often a lot of clarity on what people mean and what they what they're saying. And so I just I just say that I just say that for, you know, for people listening so that there's clarity, there's not any confusion, not not that you weren't clear. I'm not saying that, but just for people listening so that uh, there is that that clarity. But what are any any before I ask the next question, any any thoughts on that? No, I think that's that's good. Um, I would add again, the only thing to keep in mind is that when women are doing things like that and they have these women uh, conferences for women to go and hear, um, they're not preaching. They're teaching other women right. in the same vein as Titus too. So they are, they're fine. And again, uh, there's different situations where women are not only permitted to teach, but actually encouraged to teach. So I would say my wife leads a women's Bible study and she does, from what I have heard, a terrific job. Um, I've never actually sat in the women's Bible study, but here's what my wife does. And I think there's wisdom in this. She'll come to me before she teaches and she'll say, here's what I'm planning to teach. Here's my outline. Is that, is this good? And I'll basically sign off on and go, yeah, that's great. And here's the interesting thing. I never asked her to do that. She just automatically does it. Why? Because well, number one, we have a biblical marriage, but number two, this just comes natural. She knows that one of us is called to lead, the other's called to submit. And so even when she's going to theoretically be leading others, it's still underneath my jurisdiction and rule. And so I think there's there's a lot of wisdom in that. Um, the other thing that I would point out, um, if I had a daughter, I don't right now, but if the Lord ever blesses us with a daughter, I would pursue for her the same exact in-depth theological education that I'm going to pursue for both of my boys. And the reason is not because I'm training her up to be a pastor, right? Just no, but she's going to utilize that theology and it might be different, right? She might utilize it in a completely different way, but she needs to have that theological training just like they need to have that theological training. My wife needs to have a theological training occurring just as I need to have a theological training occurring. 
It doesn't mean we're going to be using it in the same way. In fact, we're not, but it's still important. Uh, one of the examples that I just heard for this recently, actually, and I was I was interested in what the conversation would be like here, but I listened to Doug Wilson speak on this topic because his daughters uh, were theologically trained, his wife theologically trained. They all write, they all have podcasts, they all teach other women. And he said the same exact thing. I sought that education for them and they utilize it now. They put it to good use and they're doing it in a very biblical way. They teach and train other women to do what? To be women. And so that's what I'm pursuing, not only for my wife, but like I said, if we ever were to have a daughter, if the Lord would bless us with one, then hey, we would do the same thing for her. Yeah. So hopefully that helps somebody. It is. It is. It is another practical suggestion for you know, husband and wife, especially, you know, if you listen to this, you preach or, or you're a woman and you, and you teach other women is for husband and wife to come together and have that conversation. Hey, is, is what I'm saying here clear? I do that with my own wife and she'll be like, yes, that's, that's good. But I have a question and I'm like, okay, so I know that that means probably I'm not very clear. And so we'll go back and forth. And then, you know, that helps me, that helps me because I, I can think that I'm being clear, like in an article or, you know, before I go on an interview or having a top conversation about top, I could give tons of examples on this, but um, you can always say something better. You can always be clear. In fact, the moment I've been saying this for a while now, so even when something comes out of your mouth, you realize maybe later, uh, I didn't say that as clear, especially those of us who podcast, preach, teach, right? You can always say something better. And so just keep that in mind. And, you know, we were talking even before we recorded and it's and it's interesting. This is where humility comes in, and why we need to keep learning and growing and and all these things. And so, just just take that encouragement, you know, that I I practice this myself when interviews and conversations with topics, articles, books, etc. Getting input. This is a biblical thing. We see it in the Proverbs and the abundance of wisdom. There's many counselors. Uh, it's just it's wise. If you're, if you want to be wise, if you want to grow in your skill, if you want to be helpful to other people, there's a lot of wisdom in asking your, especially your spouse and other people to speak into the things and the projects that you're working on. So mm -hmm. I think it's good too, to I'm know uh, what the enemy's thinking. So yeah. read the other side also. Uh, that's one of the things that I did with this book. And I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but why Sally can't preach uh, came out of sermons that I was preaching while at a church that was okay with the ordaining of women into eldership. Uh, now, the book's been cut up and spliced together a little bit differently um, than what those original sermons were. But everything except for chapter four is born out of those sermons that I was preaching. And what I was doing was intentionally finding out. So people who say women can preach, what, what's the basis for their reasoning? What's their argumentation? And then wrote the book based off of those arguments, based off of what the word of God actually states. And so uh, a lot of what's said in this book uh, may very well come across as preaching. And that's because that's what I was doing. Uh, when the book was being written, I wasn't writing a book. I was preaching a series of sermons and realized afterwards that, okay, if we use this piece here, this piece here, and we put it together and we use this over here, we'll have a book that actually will be very helpful. Yeah, I pray for yeah. various people. And uh, so I think yeah. it's important not only to have um, people to help us understand if we're being understandable, but yeah. know what the enemy's thinking, know what the enemy's doing. And don't be afraid of their arguments, because I promise you, uh, if you're standing upon scripture, you can't go wrong. Yeah. So 
if they're going to make you look like a fool at the end of the day and they want to make you look dumb and whatever else, uh, I, I really like the example of uh, a man that you actually had on the show not too long ago. And that's Ray Comfort, uh, Ray Comfort, the banana man. Right. So you've heard that story before. He used the banana um, and would say this defeats the atheists. Uh, and then they came back and they were like, no, the banana is uh, genetically altered. It's not it's not actually being um, created organically anymore. It's it's genetically altered, blah, blah, blah. And really, they tried to make him look dumb and comfort. Ray Comfort comes along and he says, you know, at first I did. I did. I felt dumb. Uh, like, you know, he could never show his face again until he started realizing Richard Dawkins is talking about him. Um, all of these prolific atheists are talking about him. They're showing clips on their shows and his videos that are getting a couple thousand views suddenly are getting hundreds of thousands of views because these atheists think they're making fun of him. And what they're doing as they're making fun of him is they're sharing the gospel because they're showing his clips where he's preaching the gospel. And so he just started embracing it and going, okay. Well, I can utilize this then for the glory of God. If I'm going to look like a fool, which, by the way, the Apostle Paul says we're going to look like anyway, let's embrace it. And so that's really one of my goals for this book, too. Uh, I already know uh, people are saying stuff. Uh, one of yesterday was Sunday at the time of recording this uh, on Sunday morning. Um, one of my deacons was like, hey, Jake, come over here. Look at this. Somebody made a thread. Uh, on the internet, I won't say where it is, but because they said some bad stuff in it. Uh, but he was like, hey, look at what these people are saying about you. Literally, right before I'm about to teach Sunday school. And I said, thank you so much for showing this to me right before I teach Sunday school. But actually, we read it. And here's the beauty of it. We laughed about it. Why? Because it's nonsense. So if they're going to make fools of us, let them. It's making the message go forth anyway. And mm -hmm. so if we're going to look like fools before the world, praise the Lord. Because the gospel is still getting out. And that's really the goal at the end of the day, is to yeah. see the kingdom of God advance through the proclamation of the gospel and through men and women behaving as men and women within their biblically designated roles. That's good, brother. Well, everybody, we've been talking today with our friend and brother in Christ, uh, Jacob Tanner. Uh, he's also a fellow G G3 author about his book, Why Sally Can't Preach. I want to encourage you to go ahead and pick it up at G3 Press. It's a good, helpful primer on this topic. And we hope that this conversation has been helpful for your life and godliness. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you guys. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.